Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 13. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A, wise, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, or who can tell him how it will be. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge for more, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, and when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also, this also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. This is the word of the Lord. God bless the reading of his word. morning. <clears throat> I don't know where to put everything yet. I haven't, haven't been up here very often. Um, so, all right. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Um, so I've, I've had the opportunity to preach at a couple other churches, and I have not, or I have yet to be able to preach at God's Word here at my, at my home church. So it's a little different. It's the same. You know, God's Word stays the same, but just being here is, uh, it's, it's a little different for me. So uh, I am grateful uh, that I've been entrusted by the elders uh, to be able to lead you all in God's Word this morning. Um, and I can't explain how humbled, how grateful I am by this responsibility. So I've also told the congregations that um, I do not take this lightly, and I won't, uh, for your sake and for my God-given responsibility. So when considering the, the sacredness of God's word and, and to handle something that is so precious, it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, so this is a, it's a holy time, though. It's a holy time for us to to take in God's word and um, to feed on it. So I just pray that the Lord grants us favor this morning in worship and in the building up of the body of Christ through the preaching of his word. Amen. So I pray the spirit of God would use the word of God 
to, to strengthen the people of God. So let's receive God's word today eagerly. As the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of God remains forever. I want to start off by saying Ecclesiastes is exactly why we need a Savior. Um, to put yourself in this time is to uh, put yourself in a time where Jesus hasn't even been born. Uh, when Gentiles or non-Jews were not yet called as the people of God into the gospel of grace, Ecclesiastes was written in a time where people were, people were living under the law of Moses and waiting for the Messiah to come. Ecclesiastes is written in the form of wisdom literature, which um, is to say it's not read like a historical narrative. So that just means that you read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John historically. It's a historic thing of the person and work of Christ, or Genesis is a historic uh, scripture of you know the creation of the world. But this is written as um, wisdom literature. So I just want to make that clear. So it's, um, knowing the genre is, is helpful. That's the only reason I point that out. It helps you harmonize with the text. It's like fine-tuning an instrument where you get the best sound and use out of the instrument. So knowing the genre also helps you read with a more maximal effect when accompanied by the Holy Spirit. So the, uh, the first point in, these, in this scripture here is that wisdom in and of itself is, is from God. So let's look at verse 1. And read it. It says, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Ecclesiastes is like the book of Proverbs in many ways. They both are written as wisdom literature, they both are believed to be written by Solomon. They both give insight to wisdom or about wisdom in everyday life, or is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes would say to everything that takes place under the sun. So we have here a book that is wisdom literature. We have Solomon, who's the wisest man on earth. And then verse 1 is asking, who here is wise? Who is like the wise? They both, um, it's just riddled all throughout the book that, uh, that wisdom is, is a point. So uh, wisdom, yeah, is riddled all throughout the book. Solomon asked in the very beginning, who is like the wise? What actually is wisdom? Scripture tells us in the book of James that there's earthly wisdom, there's unspiritual wisdom, there's even demonic wisdom. It says this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I think it's important to first make a distinction before moving forward in the scriptures. The distinction is that knowledge and wisdom are not the same. You may know or have knowledge as to what it would cost you to follow Christ, but not have the wisdom to do it. The definition of knowledge says it is facts acquired by a person through education or experience. And then wisdom, on the other hand, is knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it. For example, Solomon himself, he asked for insight, not just knowledge. He asked for a discerning heart to be able to know right and wrong as he leads his people. As you can see, knowledge and wisdom are not the same, and confusing the two can lead to all sorts of problems. One danger that seems to always be lingering around the corner is pride. Many who combine knowledge and wisdom as the same often just lack the latter, 
Knowledge, scripture says, puffs up a man. And ironically, the very wisdom lacking is often evident for others to see. Have you heard the saying that you can win a debate but lose the person? If, you, if your heart is only set on being right, you may have trapped and surrounded the person in a debate to where they have no way of escape. But where was your heart in the process? Was it salivating at the dominance you will have in your superior knowledge, or are you trying to lead people in truth by using wisdom? People aren't dumb, and they notice character qualities like the pride of knowledge, and when they notice that in a person, well then, relationally, they have already distanced themselves far from you. Christians know the world is not our friend, and the world is, lives contrary to the truth. Everything around us in our culture is in opposition to God. I would never get anything done if I walked around pointing out everything that is wrong in the world. Wisdom, however, will lead you to know the proper time and place for such conversations. Wisdom is beneficial in life, but where do wisdom and foolishness meet? They both meet in the same place. Wisdom and foolishness meet at the grave. The wise man and the foolish man are both going to die and get buried in the same soil that God has created. But hear me out. Wisdom is a gift from God that we all need, and we can all ask for it. So ask the Lord for wisdom, brothers and sisters. God delights in giving generously to his children. Listen to what our God wants you to know. He says in the book of James, if any of you lacks wisdom, does anyone here lack wisdom? Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Have you ever asked God for wisdom? I've tried to imagine reading that portion of scripture and thinking to myself, I don't need any more wisdom. And then wonder how anyone who is honest with themselves would think they are at the pinnacle of wisdom. Notice where the source of wisdom is, my friends. It's given by God. Pastor Sam preached last Lord's Day and mentioned that you aren't able to just decide that you're going to be wise now. It has to be granted to you from God. And God is saying to ask for it. Do you think of our Father in Heaven as a generous giver to His children? That He will give His children all that they ask according to His will? God is saying, Beloved, ask me for it and I will supply it generously. A side note to asking God for wisdom is that the Christian already is already wise enough to recognize that they are in need. The fruit of humility is involved, I believe, also. Wisdom is from God. If anyone is taking notes to the, the second point, I believe, is up there. Wisdom is submission to civil authorities. In verses 2 through 4, it reads, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. For the, word of the God, for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Solomon writes here in verses 2 through 4 about civil authorities. And what does he say? He says, keep the king's command. He is telling us that wisdom is not to overthrow the civil authorities, as some might think. Wisdom is not to dismiss the validity of their authority over us. But wisdom is to submit to the civil authorities. Wisdom doesn't always look so glamorous, does it? Keep the king's command, Solomon says. Submission to the civil authorities is wise. This is not just an Old Testament command either. It's all over the New Testament. 
to where Jesus says himself to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's when asked if someone should pay taxes. Even as believers are brought from darkness to light, those being saved by the gospel who know the ultimate authority, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, as we learn how to live in this land that is not our own because our land is in the kingdom of heaven that Christ has inaugurated in the resurrection, the word of God is telling us here, letting us know that it is wise and pleasing to God to submit to the civil authorities. If it's pleasing to God, I want it to be pleasing to my heart also, knowing that he is righteous. We always talk about God's will for our life. We know by the word of God that one area of our life is the submission to civil authorities. We are not submitting to the person in the office, but to the office itself. The office itself is divinely instituted by God, just like the family was instituted by God and the church is instituted by God. Verse 2 says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. And some translations may say because of your oath to God. This idea of submission is transferred all throughout scripture. We hear scripture saying, submit to this, submit to that, submit. When we hear submit to Christ, we give a hearty yes and amen. But when scriptures say, children, submit to your parents, or wives, submit to your husbands, or men, submit to the elders of the church, or the church should submit to the civil authorities, then there's not always a hearty yes and amen. Yet it is still the will of our Lord and his design that we are to delightfully obey. Now I do want to clarify that submission does not always mean that we submit to things that oppose the law of God. In fact, we don't submit to anything that opposes that. For example, if our government mandated that all pregnant women with a boy should uh, get an abortion, or not should, but have to get an abortion, well, we know then we are not to submit to such an evil. Think of Pharaoh when he ordered that all the firstborn male babies be killed and Moses' mother put Moses in a basket and sent him down the river. Or what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were ordered to bow down and worship an idol of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they were obligated to go against the authorities, which were commanding them to worship something other than the one true God. These are times, and there are times, when submitting to the civil authorities is not acceptable. And that is when it goes against God and his law. The book of Revelation reveals that in the last days, it will be the authorities in a one world religion that will attempt to overthrow and remove Christians and heavy persecution, but as for right now, it is good that we have a civil institution. It is good that a sense of justice can be served and crime will be punished. That is one of the many reasons that Christ has instituted the civil authorities. That the unbelieving would fear punishment from law, from the law to keep from law breaking. The civil authorities are a good thing. It's a good thing you can call the police if someone's robbed you. It's a good thing that there is still a want for justice in the court system, although it's not perfect. Can you imagine if there wasn't any punishment for crimes? Extreme chaos would happen if that were so. In verse 11 of chapter 8, it says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Does that ring a bell in your ears regarding the United States Bill of Rights that says you have the right to a fair and speedy trial? And scripture says 
Since an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of men is bent on evil. Crimes were punished quickly and punishment was feared. Here's an extreme example. Do you all know what Iran does to thieves? They cut off their hand. And more specifically, they cut off their first four fingers and, and leave the thumb. You can bet that punishment has kept many in fear and has kept them from stealing for fear of getting caught and losing their hand. You can bet someone would think twice about stealing that guitar for what use is it without fingers. Now, the only reason I mention that is to point out that the purpose, point out one of the purposes of punishment instituted by God is to keep the lawbreakers in fear of the punishment of the law. It's a good thing we have laws because crimes, because if crimes were not punished or if people had no fear in breaking the law, then man's vile sin nature would be on full display. And that, my friends, would be a scary and a dangerous thing. We should be grateful to God for this institution that he has so wisely established. Ecclesiastes says, keep the king's command. And that's exactly what we should do. Did you know that even the Son of God paid taxes to Caesar? Wisdom, brothers and sisters, is to submit to the civil authorities. The third point is, for those taking note, is that wisdom is in discerning the right time and place. Look at the second half of verse 5 and part of 6 with me. It says this about wisdom. It says, The wise heart and the just, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Solomon was just speaking about there was a time for everything under the sun in chapter 3. He says there's a, a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. Wisdom, brothers and sisters, gives you insight on knowing the proper time in the just way. Proverbs which was written by Solomon as well, which is also a genre of wisdom literature, as I mentioned before. It gives insight on wisdom and practical living. It says in chapter 26, verse 4 and 5, he says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. And then in the very next verse, it says, Answer a fool according to his folly. Well, which one is it? Do you answer or not answer the fool according to his folly? Solomon is saying that Wisdom will know when and how to act in the situations of life. We all need wisdom from God. Who here is wise? Who is wise? Wisdom knows when to enter and exit a debate. <clears throat> wisdom knows when to step forward and step back. Wisdom knows how to live in everyday relationships. With your husband or wife, with your sons and your daughters, with grandchildren and friends. Who here is wise. My hope is that we would depend more and more on God and ask Him for the help in this category of wisdom. The Lord knows we need it, and the Lord tells us to ask for it. What better example can you find of knowing the right time and place than looking at our Savior Himself? He knew exactly how to respond to those who were trying to set traps on Him. He knew, he, knew he wasn't obligated to answer a question that was devised to the point of however he answered it, they would find fault. So what did Jesus do when religious leaders asked him by what authority he was teaching? He turned the table back around on them and said, I will ask you one question, and if you answer me, then I will tell you by what authority I teach. You see, Jesus knew that 
they would not answer. The religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus by a question and would now end up being the ones who were trapped. This is the pinnacle of wisdom played out in our Savior and our King. Jesus cannot be trapped. He cannot be duped. He cannot not know how to handle situations, being that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We cannot outrun God, for where would we run if he created all things? He's, how could we outsmart or outwit God if he's the God that searches the heart and the mind of man? We can't ruin or thwart what God has decreed, although our hearts may sinfully desire control and power. We have an all-wise God and a Father who loves his Son, who knew and predestined the right time and place for his son to climb the hill called Calvary. As our Savior knew the right time and place himself being recorded as saying, my time has not yet come. Jesus knew the right time and place. The gospel of our Lord is mind-blowing evidence of God's infinite wisdom. He knew the time and place. It was a little over 2,000 years ago, and the place was at Calvary on a Roman cross. Wisdom knows the time and the place. Who here is wise? Moving on to the fourth point, which is wisdom, is to fear God. In verses 10 through 13, it reads, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though, sinner, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Wisdom is to fear God, brothers and sisters. It's the hinge that opens the door into God's will. I don't want to be known as anything other than a God-fearing disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and a good husband. I'm thankful to have a wife and a church family that fears God. I don't want to be like the wicked in the text that say they go in and out of the holy place and we're being praised in the city. These religious leaders of the time who were allowed to go in and out of the holy place are labeled here as wicked. Wicked men, though praised as holy by the people, don't think because a man has a title of pastor or an elevated position in church leadership that he can't be living wickedly too. Honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Not practicing what they preach, but only playing the hypocrite. These and this is a wicked thing in the eyes of God. And a warning to those in verse 13, it says, But I know it will not be well with the wicked, Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Brothers and sisters, the wicked do not fear God. If there's anything that, that Solomon is certain of in this text, it's in verse 12, and it says, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Wisdom, my friends, is to fear God. Who here is wise? Wisdom the fifth point is wisdom doesn't always look wise. I don't know how many of you have um, read The Pilgrim's Progress, but uh, there's a point in there where a man 
the worldly wise man comes up and, and he meets Christian and Christian tells him where he's going and the worldly wise man, he, he says, that path is, is the worst path to take. It's going to be painful. It's going to be suffering and heartache. And, and the worldly wise man tries to, tries to get Christian off the path because it doesn't seem wise. And we know as Christians that we're going to have suffering and heartache and pain. But we don't, we're not like those who have no hope. Wisdom is not always wise. But, or wisdom does not always look wise. Wisdom is always wise. Wisdom is a fundamental virtue throughout Scripture for God's people. It protects us from unnecessary problems and gives insight to solve problems that others who lack it wouldn't be able to solve. There are far too many facets of wisdom to condense it all down in a single sermon. But Scripture has condensed wisdom down to the point of where it begins. Scripture tells us wisdom begins with the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to point out that it's the beginning and it's not the end. Taking God at His word is the beginning of wisdom. Believing that how God has revealed Himself in the gospel is unshakably true and wise. So I can ask the congregation, who here is wise? Who fears God? This wisdom in fearing God is trusting what God says is true and having the willingness to follow the drawing of oneself to God. If there is not a fear of God in your heart, then scripture is saying that there is not a sufficient amount of wisdom in that person. Wisdom produces obedience to our Lord. And I would like to point out that wisdom doesn't always seem wise. Wisdom can actually look foolish apart from God. Do you all remember the scripture where Peter was out fishing all day and he hadn't caught any fish and Jesus told Peter to cast the net to the other side of the, of the boat. Peter replies saying, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but if you say so. Peter didn't think it was wise to cast the net out again upon Jesus' request. He spent all night fishing and casting the net out and catching nothing. But Peter would say, but if you say so, cast the net out and he would end up catching so many fish that the nets would start to break that another boat had to come in, and then that boat began to sink. They caught so many fish. Do you know what Peter did when he found out what was going on? It says he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognized his hesitation, his doubt, his foolishness, that moments before he thought it unwise to, to, not, to cast the net out. Wisdom produces an obedience to God. Wisdom does not always look wise. What about Ananias? Ananias was a man that was given specific instructions to go and find a man named Saul of Tarsus and lay his hands on him so that he would regain his sight. Saul was a relentless persecutor of Christians who had a role in the killing of Stephen, whom they stoned to death. So now the Lord is telling Ananias, Go to the very man who is killing Christians. Put your hands on him so that he may see again. Ananias answered, he said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Ananias, and I'm sure many other disciples, if not all of them, would say it's not wise to go and visit Saul of Tarsus. He will throw you in jail, he will beat you, he will kill you like he did Stephen. 
Was it wise for Ananias to go? Of course it was. Did anyone think it was wise for him to go? Most likely not. The scriptures say that Ananias questioned the request. Wisdom produces boldness in the fear of God. Who here is wise? Wisdom doesn't always look wise. What about our brother in Christ, Rob Rash, and many of our own congregation, from pastors to deacons to laymen, leaving the comforts of their actual, of their actual home, quitting their jobs to shepherd a flock in Troy, or others who may not be leaving their home but will be leaving their, their church family, which is also home. And they're going to go plant another church not knowing what the results will be. The world thinks this is foolish, but if it be God's will, if it be with men and women who fear God, if it be with a heart for the lost, and then we will rejoice in the souls that will come to faith in Christ through this work. Amen. Wisdom does not always look wise. What about when our Lord himself foretold his death and resurrection to Peter? Telling Peter he would have to suffer many things by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. The Messiah who God has brought is now telling him that he's going to have to suffer and die. What is Peter's response to the infinite wisdom of God? Peter thought this plan to be so foolish that scripture says he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter had just confessed Jesus as the Messiah four verses earlier in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are, not, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. In Peter's earthly wisdom, he would have removed God's eternal plan of crushing the serpent's head. Peter's earthly wisdom would have removed the cross that our Savior hung on to bear our sin, to forgive us, to drink our cup of wrath that we should have drank. Oh, what a sin it is. What an evil it is to stand in opposition of God's plan of redemption. Such an evil that Jesus calls Peter Satan for such a thought. Peter's earthly wisdom would have removed the gospel that we proclaim today. The gospel of Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We have a God whose true and pure wisdom has defeated death because it wasn't possible for death to hold him. In God's omniscience, his all-sovereign, all-knowing power, he was able to use what worldly wisdom considers to be foolish. That a man, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was hung on a cross as, a, as an example to be shamed, who was mocked, seemingly helpless, who was tried and falsely accused, who was the only person in history of mankind that never sinned, an innocent man, an innocent Messiah, an innocent Savior, hanging from a cross with a crucifixion as his lot. This is the wisdom of God. This is love for all who believe. That he would make a way for us to be right with God. The only way to be right with God. Wisdom, brothers and sisters, 
is to repent and believe in the Savior of souls, to call upon God and to trust God. Who here is wise? Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and thank you for your wisdom, for your wisdom in, in sending your Son, for your wisdom in, in drawing us all to you, Lord. We are thankful. We are grateful for your, your love to us. We are grateful for oh, setting the captive free. Father, we ask for, for wisdom, Lord, as you, you tell us to ask, and we will, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom in our everyday life, in our decisions, Lord, that we would have wisdom to fear you, to know you, Lord, and for those who don't, Lord, that you would grant them wisdom and, and repentance, and, and coming to faith in Christ, Lord. Grant them wisdom, and we pray all this in your Son's name.